Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story, the people that craft and tell them. Why, you ask? Well, we want to feature these tellers and their stories, and also to help you, our listeners, craft and tell better, more engaging, more relatable, and more memorable stories, true stories, personal stories. Yes, Grit stories. We are in the middle of season number three dedicated to grit talks and the best of. And today we've got two stories from 7 by 7 back in the summer of 2020. And Vandy Perky, who lives in the Chicago land area, and Chandra Lahiri, who is in the Boston area. Two gifted storytellers, two stories that involve the S word. And as you listen to these two stories, hey, think about how you can take what they're doing how they've crafted them, and apply them to your own. That's part of why we do this podcast. And of course, I hope you just enjoy them. If you'd like to help us out, keep doing what you're doing. There's a couple of other ways you can support the podcast. You can let people know about it. You can share it on social media. And if you listen on Apple, rating and reviewing helps a lot. However you choose to support, we really do appreciate it. And check the show notes for upcoming events, including our May 1st fundraiser right here in North Carolina, a fundraiser to raise money for Ukraine. Okay, and Chandre, and of course, our listeners, let's dive in. It was June 12th, 1990, and I never truly wanted to die until that day. Granted, I'd been a suicide queen. I'd scratched my arm so severely, so raw with the post of an earring that it bled and bled and bled. I'd taken so many pills, been pumped full of so much charcoal that I lay on a gurney in an emergency room in a hospital with a platinum blonde intern hovering over me saying, what's different this time? I had acute depression so severe it was blackness, a death rattle, coupled with alcoholism, a double whammy. But this day, I sat in a treatment center, in a cheerful yellow room with slogans on the wall. Easy does it, keep it simple, first things first. I was sitting there and a plump woman brought me my dinner. Here's your veggie burger with pickle, avocado, onion on a brioche. Easy does it. I ate my burger, I made my bed. I put on some red lipstick and a Rolling Stones t-shirt, and I pranced out of my room and went to the room of another patient, Ruthie. Ruthie, can I borrow your blow dryer? No prob. I took the blow dryer back to my room. I had taken a red bucket from a maintenance closet that morning. I had my tools. Now, late stage depression doesn't care if you crush your parents' life. It doesn't care that you crush your siblings. And it certainly doesn't care if you wreck the reputation of the treatment center. Acute depression can be like that. It can be so selfish. So I filled up the bucket with the water. I fired up the blow dryer like a turbo Mustang. And with one fell swoop, I plunged the blow dryer into the bucket of water. 
Little jolts of electricity went through my hand. Ping! Ping! Nothing but little jolts of electricity. Ping! Ping! God damn it! I threw the blow dryer across the room. Just then, the lights went out. I sat there in total darkness, seething with anger. This was supposed to work. This was supposed to kill me. I was supposed to die. I was sitting there and there was a knock on the door. I fucking whipped the door open and there was a little bent over maintenance man with a ring of keys and a name tag that said Dirk. Uh, there's been a report of a blackout on the unit and it seems to have come from your room. Ruthie was behind him. Anne, can I have my blow dryer back? Now here's where I draw a blank. I don't know if I ruined Ruthie's blow dryer. I don't know what happened to the red bucket. I do know that the treatment center never thought there was a suicide attempt. And I spent the next several days in my room crying. The counselors left me alone. I only went out to go to some of those hideous recovery meetings where some goon talked about the slogans and plied you with stale coffee. But I did one thing they told me to do. I took the medication. And one day the medication kicked in. To say it was a miracle is an understatement. It was like walking into a sunlit room. Nothing had changed, yet everything had changed. I actually felt happy. The death rattle was gone. And I became a model patient. I emptied coffee cups. I cleaned up ashtrays. I took notes on a clipboard. I even made my bed with the 400 count per kale Egyptian sheets. And I left that treatment center and I embraced life. And though I had lost my faith in God and in heaven and in all that, I absolutely knew that it was grace that saved me. Thank you, and Vandy Perky in uh, the Chicagoland area for your story. And this song, which I have tried to work into a couple of other Grit podcast episodes by Luke Christopher, it's called The Alphabet. I really like it, and I'm just experimenting a little bit here today, and I share that with you because I really like the song, and I like the lyrics, and it's about survival, and today's theme is the S word, and the S does not stand for Sean or for softball or any other S other than uh, suicide and survival. We don't talk a lot about suicide. Some of you may know I have a podcast about suicide in which I talk with suicide attempt survivors, and I want you to know about that. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to join me on that podcast to talk or perhaps to listen, and maybe you know somebody, so Suicide Know to check it out on uh, Spotify or Apple or just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. Huge thanks to Anne for letting me use this story and also for our next storyteller, Chandre Lahiri. I appreciate their stories, particularly stories around this kind of thing, because we don't talk much about it. 
And look, hey, let's face it, the more we talk about it, the less we feel shitty about it. At least that's how I feel, and others I know in my life feel that way. One way to sort of slay the shame around this stuff is to talk, whether that's in the form of a story or conversation or a podcast or whatever it may be. So thank you, ladies, for this and for crafting and telling your stories, especially these kinds of stories, because they matter. So it was 1985, and my family and I had recently returned to Kolkata, India, after spending about 12 or 13 years in various countries in the Middle East. And we'd moved in with our joint family per Indian tradition. And for us, what that looked like was a three-bedroom apartment in which was my parents, myself, my brother, my elderly grandmother, my uncle, his wife, and his young son. Now, I was 14 years old, and it was one big adventure for me, and I didn't mind initially, but as the months wore on, the inconveniences started to register, and probably the biggest one was the lack of privacy. Now, my uncle was in between jobs at that time, and his marriage was feeling the strain in all the predictable ways, and it wasn't unusual to hear loud, raised voices from their bedroom because we were all crammed together. There were only three bedrooms. And that particular night, it was louder than usual. And maybe that's what drew me towards their room. And I paused outside the door to their bedroom, which was ajar. And in Kolkata, you have these in our house. It's these two wooden doors. People usually keep them open to let the breeze in. And we have these cotton curtains that hang to give you some semblance of privacy. And I stood outside, but kind of not wanting to open it and intrude, when suddenly it just went quiet. And out of sheer curiosity, I just twitched it apart a little bit to peep in. And I saw my aunt looking at my uncle with a strange expression on her face as my uncle casually lit a cigarette, tossed the matchbox on the bed and just let out the smoke spirals, just blasé. His part of the argument was obviously over. And then my aunt picked up the matchbox struck a light, bent down, and set fire to the pleats in her cotton sari, straightened up, and as the whole thing went up in a blaze, she started screaming. And I stood frozen behind that cotton's curtain, watching in horror, and out of the corner of my eye, I could see my uncle frozen too. The smoke from his cigarette was spiraling up towards the ceiling, and she just screamed. It felt like hours, but it must have been a few minutes before my brother, who was 18, came barreling into the room and he wasn't frozen. He had the presence of mind and I, he looked around, assessed the situation in a second. And before I knew it, he'd pulled off the flip-flops from his feet, put them on his hands and he'd started beating out the flames. He was kneeling down on the floor. My aunt kept screaming while she was just standing still as a statue, willing for this thing to happen. And... I couldn't believe my eyes as she hauled back and slapped my brother across his face. His face just swung to one side and then it snapped right back. He didn't miss a beat. He kept doing what he had to do and he kept beating and beating until all the flames had been put out. And then when he stood up, my aunt pulled him into a hug and the screaming went to howling as she just cried in grief and pain. And outside the door where nobody saw me, nobody had 
no one that I was even watching. I collapsed on the floor, just shuddering in shock, trying to take it in. I felt so bad. I couldn't understand why this woman whom I loved so much and admired would do such a thing so casually, so easily. She tried to take her life. But more than anything else, I was just full of remorse because I had been extremely mean to her the last few weeks. Now, remember, I was a teenager and in the hormonal whirlwind that was my life, I was up to my eyes with the melodrama. And I'd been rolling my ass at her constantly, at her sighs, at her complaints, at the sad look that she always wore. I didn't see it for the depression that it really was. And I just sat there chastising myself and ripping off all these labels that I'd stuck on her, drama queen, self-pity. I ripped them all off in my head and promised that I'd be more sensitive. Now, life moved on. She came out of it okay. My aunt is in a really good place now. And strangely enough, I never gave much thought to this episode and all the years that came after until about 12 years ago when my own life hit a bit of a rough patch. My son was two years old. I was having a really hard time of it. I was sleep deprived. I was exhausted because he still hadn't learned to sleep through the night. To be honest, I was really struggling with all the balls that I had juggling. I was a working parent. I didn't have family and support because they were all in India and we were in the US. And I'll be honest, my marriage was a little bit strained, the way all marriages are when you just have so much, when you're carrying so much weight. That particular day had been awful. It was yet another awful day at work. I was in physical pain from exhaustion. I'd had words with my husband and I was in tears as I was driving, like uh, racing against time, like I always was in those days, trying to pick my son up from daycare in time. And I was pulling up to this traffic light and I could barely see through the tears because I was crying. God knows why I was always crying those days. And I found my brain go into this really weird space where I did this bizarre checklist. One, was my husband traveling for work this week? No, he was in town. Two, did daycare have his number in case of emergency? Yeah, they did. They'd call him. Three, wouldn't everyone's life be better if I wasn't in it? Oh, yeah. And before I knew it, the light had turned red and I'd squeezed my eyes shut and I had stepped on the gas. And a few seconds later, I opened my eyes because I made it through that intersection intact. My pain was also intact. And in that weird adrenaline high I was, all I could see was endless pain and despair stretching out ahead of me, as well as a second traffic light. And that was also red. And my checklist was already done. So I did it again. I stepped on the gas and I went through the light and I came out unscathed again. Now all that was looming ahead of me was the daycare. And I turned into the parking lot. I turned off the engine of my car and I slumped against the steering wheel and started shuddering for breath at what I had just tried to do. And the first rush of thoughts in my brain were the obvious ones that you'd think of, you know, what was that? What if I had died? What if I hadn't died and I was stuck in a hospital bed for the rest of my life? What if someone else had been hurt because of what I tried to do? But more than everything else, in a complete bizarre twist, I flash back to Kolkata, 
1985 and my aunt and that sari that's up in fire. And all of a sudden, the jigsaw pieces of a puzzle that I didn't know was incomplete clicked into place. She wasn't just depressed, but she wasn't just stressed. She was juggling too many balls just the way I was. Sometimes people can get stretched so, so thin that the smallest gust of wind can snap that thread. They don't do it on purpose. It's not always planned and it just happens. I drove out of that parking lot later that day very, very carefully because I was now carrying precious cargo. In the back, my son was strapped into his five-point harness of the baby seat. And he was kicking his chubby legs and singing his favorite song from his favorite show, Thomas the, Tra the Tank Engine. And I took a deep, steadying breath as I approached the first of two streetlights between the daycare and our house. The light had just turned green. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to our two storytellers, Anne Vandy Perky and Chandra Lahiri. Thank you both very much for your stories. Check out the show notes for upcoming events, including our May 1st fundraiser for Ukraine in person here in North Carolina. And we very much want to hear what you think about the podcast. If you have any questions or comments or ways we can improve it, not only for the sake of entertainment, but to help you craft and tell stories that matter, stories that are engaging and relatable and memorable. Shoot us a message on Facebook or an email, hello at storygrit.com. We do have a website, storygrit.com. We're still working on it, but it is up and out to the world. You can contact us there as well. And that is all for episode number 79. Boom.